It's Success Happens on 930 WFMD, blending business and politics. Success Happens with your host, Jen Charlton. Good morning and welcome to Success Happens. It's another great day in the neighborhood and it is so good to be with you. I, wow, what a show. Really, I say strap in, I really mean it. This is going to be amazing. And there's so much to cover. There's With my guest, I could spend three days. So really excited to have with us Senator Doug Mastriano. And I, I want to just preface this by saying, as I read his bio, wow, is Pennsylvania lucky. Shout out. Shout out to Adams County and Franklin County, Cumberland and York. You guys are so blessed to have him as your as one of your leaders there. And as a small aside, I was at Boyer's Candies and uh, and we were getting our puppy. And I start talking to this gentleman in the parking lot who's wearing a, a shirt that says something like, I will never bow down or, or stand or uh, kneel to the flag. And I said, I love your T-shirt. And that started a whole conversation. And then I told them, that I was trying to get Senator Mastriani on the show, he said, they said, oh, my God, we love him. He's amazing. I mean, in a parking lot, ready? So anyway, welcome to the show, Doug. It is so great to have you with us. Thank you, Jen, for having me on in these crazy times, both locally and nationally. It's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, you you are definitely loved, though, I tell you. And and I'm so grateful. Uh, Ryan and I have chatted about you, and, and I know you guys are good buds, and it's just great to have us all here together. And there's just so much to cover with you. But when I looked at your, at your resume, your bio, one of the things I was struck with is your commitment to freedom. I mean, you've spent your life defending us here and abroad. And I just, first of all, on behalf of all Americans, thank you for standing up in Pennsylvania because what you did in Pennsylvania not only impacted Pennsylvanians, it it impacts our entire nation. And I often say people don't live in jurisdictions. Politicians think we live in jurisdictions. But the truth is, we're all Americans, and what happens in one state clearly affects the rest of us. So in, 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 in particular, when we talk about election integrity. So I wanted to start there, but there's so much else to cover, particularly because what's been going on overseas right now with the Taliban. So let's start with thank you for the work you've done in Pennsylvania. Could you share with us um, a little bit about, you know, why you felt it was important to stand up in a time when there was so much, I mean, you could have just said, oh, okay, it didn't turn out, right? Yeah. Well, I was excited when I called in that Ryan picked up the phone since we go, uh, you know, way back. So, so you guys are blessed to have him, and thank you for all that you do as well, uh, putting truth out there. So, you know, I spent most of my 20s, all my 30s, all my 40s, and part of my 50s in uniform, but that's what I wanted to do in life. I wanted to serve my country and give a little something back to my country and hopefully make enough of a difference to hand it off to my son's generation a little bit better off than how I got it from my dad's generation. And uh, as I was retiring in 2017, I was really heartbroken of the condition of our nation and that it was worse off. And so I was complaining about that and never thinking about running for any office at all. 
But as I was complaining about it to some young man, you know, basically, you know, all these sacrifices for nothing. And this, this young guy looked over at me and said, well, Colonel, do something about it. And instead of riding off to the sunset, as so many senior officers do or senior NCOs do, I think we have to stay in and stay engaged to make a difference because so many things have gone cross-eyed in our country. And it's, it's, it's easy to point the finger at Harrisburg, you know, or in my, in my case, Harrisburg or Washington, D.C. nationally and, and, you know, complain about the corruption in a swamp. And it's a lot harder to actually do something. And so the past year and a half, I think it's been a wake-up call to most of the people in this country. So it's important that we stay engaged, that we get in office, that you run for a school board. We see how important school boards are, you know, these days. And, uh, you know, local and state-level government is, is huge. And so I never imagined two-plus two years ago when I was sworn in in Harrisburg that I'd find myself, you know, caught into the very tumultuous time where so much of our freedoms and liberties are being stripped away. Yeah, I mean, it, it really is. You know, I was talking with, I was with Dan Cox last night at a, an event. And, you know, you talk about leaders are called to be. You know, leaders are called to be. It's a God calling, I think. And, you know, you don't get to choose like, ah, you know, I think, I think I'll be called today for leadership. You know, you just yeah. are. And times call upon us to bring forth what we have to offer and a lot of what we talk about here on success happens I mean, it's blending business and politics is so much about bringing that leadership to bear to bring about successful outcomes whatever that is and um and so you know right now we haven't quite achieved success i think in the election integrity world can you bring yeah. us up to date on uh what's going on in pennsylvania and also i'd like to hear from you what you witnessed in Pennsylvania that gave you a sense of, yeah, there's fraud in the Pennsylvania politics and elections? Yeah. So first off, I'm, I'm very discouraged by the lack of honesty from, from media, because when you want to talk about this here, instead they turn it around and do ad hominem, you know, personal attacks, you know, advancing the big lie and baseless claims. The irony is for the you know, past three, four years, they were at, at you know, actually pushing a quantifiable lie you know, up as far as Russia, Russia, Russia on Donald Trump and spent tens of millions of dollars on a, on a sham of an investigation. Okay, now you fast forward to 2020, and uh, I've heard since 20, November 2020, I've heard personally from about a quarter million people from the state that that's not exaggeration, that that's a fact. And people are laying out what happened to them or what happened to family members, you know, and, and the troubles they had at the polling stations, both in 2020 and 2021 in Pennsylvania. And they're constantly saying, do something. And that came to a head, you know, early on in November when we did the hearing in Gettysburg and we had a chance for witnesses to come forward. And instead of journalists actually digging into these people's stories, they just attacked us. And all it does is just make you even more curious as to what's to happen. So then, of course, about a month and a half ago, I, I sent letters to three counties, and the reaction by my governor and our attorney general just 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 makes you even wondering even more. Because of course, the governor, our governor has been in power for seven years, and he still doesn't know the form of government we have. Because he said this is a danger to our democracy. Imagine, you know, a forensic investigation is really a danger to our we're a constitutional republic, not a democracy. But it's that transparency in government is a threat to our democracy, quote-unquote, as he calls it, or our attorney general saying he'll do everything in his power to stop it. The same attorney general that declared 
you know, his candidate the winner before one ballot was counted. That, that, that's a bit of a conflict of interest there, the senior law enforcement officials in the state. And so people have questions. Uh, more than half of people in my state doubt the outcome of the election or doubt that their vote counts, and that needs to be addressed. And so I don't know what the big deal is. Why all the drama on just opening up the books? If you got nothing to hide, let me issue the subpoenas, and then let's get down to it. And so obviously, you know, I'm a, I'm a senator. I'm one of 50 in Pennsylvania, one of 29 Republicans uh, in the Pennsylvania Senate. And I do have to work with, you know, my Senate leadership and with my committee to move forward. So obviously we're dealing with a lot of you know, complicated issues behind the scenes. But I'm with the people. Let's just get it on. Let's get it done and get to the bottom. If there's nothing to see, fantastic. But so much election change has happened, I would say, illegally by our state Supreme Court, changed the law, and uh, as well as my Secretary of State, who's since gone, uh, that we have to find out how smooth or how bad the elections are. And I think we're going to find a lot of issues. Just, just to scratch the surface, we already have 120,000 excess ballots. That means 120,000 more ballots were reported than people who actually voted. So seriously, that's a problem. So doesn't that in, in and of itself invalidate the election? Or actually, I yeah. want to say invalidate uh, the certification of the election. Yeah, so that's the question. So let me do this forensic investigation and that uh, we will look, we will you know, verify if that number is accurate. That, that comes from a, a colleague in the House, uh, Representative Frank Ryan out of Lebanon County. So let me verify that number. Let me look at all the ballots in these, in these several counties to see if they're filled in by hand or machine. And then we will see if, if that's confirmed. Obviously, then I'll have to go, in my view, from there it has to go to a judge, a, a federal judge, to determine if it was if, if the votes were incorrectly or, or prematurely certified. So what at what point let's say the judge is compromised. I mean there's the judicial system right now is definitely compromised. And you don't know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. I don't. I'm sure people do know who 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 are tracking that. But you know, we just think of judges as, you know, the ultimate in integrity. But when they're compromised, boy, are we sunk. We can't even get the Supreme Court to rule on these things. I mean, they're totally compromised at this point. I even posted about it. You know, we now know that the highest law of the land is corrupt. Yeah, that's a big deal. So let me lay out a precedent. 1993, there was the state of Northeast Philadelphia. And the Democrat one. Hold now, on, hold on, Doug. You just broke up. You just broke up. Repeat okay. what you just said, and just make sure you're in a good cell. Okay. Okay. So in 1993 in Pennsylvania, there was a special election for a state senate seat, and in the northeast of Philadelphia, which obviously is very it leans heavily Democrat, and of course the Democrat won. But the local papers, like the Inquirer, actually did investigations and found so much fraud that it became a court case, and a federal district judge throughout the election results, removed the Democrat from office, which flipped the Senate to the Republicans and put the, the Republican who lost uh, in the seat. So, you know, in the end, my view with that precedent is that if a forensic investigation uncovers so much shenanigans or corruption or what have you, that will have to go to a court. I don't know where else it could go. I mean, and, you know, in the end, the Supreme Court is going to have to weigh in. And But you're, you're right, Jen, in that the U.S. Supreme Court has failed to do its due diligence and they take cases such as the Texas case and, and constantly throwing these cases out on technicalities. I don't know how 
they think that's okay when this is creating a constitutional crisis. Because if we identify, if Arizona, for instance, if when Arizona issues their formal report, the court's going to have to take that. They're going to have to have an evidentiary hearing, which we've lacked over the past year. And it's, we need to get to the bottom of what happened. You can't ignore this. Okay. So, boy, so much to ask you. Okay. It is my opinion, and I have stated it publicly, and people can call me an idiot. I, I really don't care anymore. Uh, that China interfered in our election on November 3rd. And when they did, the Insurrection Act, the executive order that President Trump signed, called 13848, kicked in. That was from September 2018. And because there was it, foreign interference, that there should be some actionable uh, things that occur because we had foreigners mucking with our election. How do we deal with this? Does it even matter whether the judges are corrupt and the courts will comply because they're on their own program? Well, you know, stuff like that, or in in Arizona's case, you know, what they found a a significant deficit, you know, what we call the delta, significant delta between the number of votes counted and the number of votes certified. I don't know any way around it other than it has to go through the courts. You know, it'll start at the federal district to a circuit and then the Supreme Court in the end. So that, that gives you a few layers there that hopefully one of those layers will want to hear it. Um, there is an argument to be made. I, I don't necessarily align with it, but there's a, a colleague in Arizona Senate. She believes that, that the state's legislators can uh, take away the certification if there's evidence of fraud. Now, the, the problem in Pennsylvania is Pennsylvania handed that power. They, they gave up that legislative oversight power to our secretary of state in 1937. So we've, we put ourselves, I don't know why the legislative body, which is fairly, you know, weak in so many areas, would relinquish oversight of an election by allowing our own secretary of state, which is selected by the governor, not elected for that position, would give that power certification over. So in Pennsylvania's case, I don't know, I think the only way we can actually move ahead is an evidentiary hearing. And if there's significant evidence of a, of a cyber compromise or, you know, machines being online during uh, votes where, where that's obviously can compromise the election or just by a, a hand count and a forensic investigation analysis of each ballot that, that there was fraud, I don't know how a court can get around that. So what my understanding is, is that fraud eviscerates everything. <laughs> If fraud is found, it's an all-stop. But we've been unable to get people to actually use that word in a legal fashion because it comes with so much. You know, if you say there there was fraud, that eviscerates everything. Does that not apply in Pennsylvania? Well, and that's the irony. I mean, anyone, Pennsylvania, Dan Cox knows this because he was up in Philadelphia. You know, Philadelphia is renowned for shenanigans and, and fraud and what have you during elections. I mean, a maximum in Pennsylvania for a Republican to win statewide, he or she needs to get three to five points ahead of their Democrat challenger just to make up for the fraud, you know, within Philadelphia. So that, that I have to sit in, in Pennsylvania Senate and listen to Democrat colleagues stand up and say there was no fraud in this election. It was a perfect election. I mean, what even in, in the best election, Pennsylvania always has it. And the, imagine in a state of 13 million people be fraud. And so it, what's really jumped at me, Jen, in 2016, you know, th- there was a lot of shock on the other side when, when their candidate, Hillary Clinton, lost. And, you know, and, and I kind of rhetorically asked myself, they, they, they 
complained so much on the other side, but they never did an investigation. Why did they not do their own forensic investigation or audit in 2016? Obviously, we can answer it ourselves because it would it would expose the fraud that that machine has in some of our large cities in, in Pennsylvania. So that, that explains the severe reaction, this overreaction to my intent to do a forensic investigation of just several counties. All right. So a couple of things. First of all, then we wonder why the urban cities are the mess that they are, because fraudulently the people are kept in power who have put them in that position in the first place. And it's outrageous in Baltimore, Philadelphia, Chicago, pick a city where where these people are really oppressed. I mean, if you live in the city of Baltimore here in Maryland, you've got no say. And it doesn't matter if you're disgusted with your leadership because, you know, you can't get rid of them because they're so corrupt in the elections. So I just want to make that comment. The other piece I want to say is what I understand is the GOP didn't do right either. So this isn't a left right thing. It's not a liberal conservative thing. It's a a, a pro-America. You operate with integrity or you don't. Thoughts? GOP is part of the problem because in in the off years, they've allowed and tolerated the corruption in in Baltimore and Philadelphia and elsewhere to exist. And it just grows and it expands because they allow it to happen. And I I just think anytime we have the opportunity to to tighten up our elections, make sure that in this constitutional republic, each person that votes has an equal say and equal share in their voices being heard. And right now, I'm not convinced that's the case. And more importantly, more than half the people, according to three recent polls, and even CNN agrees, you know, about half the people in a state really doubt the outcome of the elections. And so, and here's another thing that drives me crazy. So, you know, why is it so hard in a Republican-led legislative body in Pennsylvania to move forward in my forensic investigation? Because obviously there's a fair amount of, of my colleagues that that politically don't see this as benefiting them in any re-election bid they have. And I'm just really sick of this pragmatic approach to life there because, first off, career politicians, I'm not so sure about that. And second off, what's the right thing to do for a nation? I mean, the thing that propelled me to office, and I'm no hero, but I, I, I love my country as, as so many people do, that I'm in here to try to make a difference, not, not to make myself comfortable in, in a chair in the legislative body. This is not the best job I had. It's not a job I wanted, but we need to do this because people really have concerns about our country as I do. And so when we have this opportunity to do an over exercising our constitutional oversight authority per article 141 in the U.S. Constitution over the manner and conduct of elections, that's all I want to do. If there's nothing to hide, crack the books open and then uh, Democrats, you could laugh all the way to, you know, to the voting booth saying, Mastriano wasted your money and time because there's nothing to see here. But I tend to think, and I really doubt that outcome, I tend to think we're going to find lots of issues in Pennsylvania. Well, we know one thing. There's, it's not possible ever that you wouldn't find anything. You're always <laughs> yep. going to find something because corruption exists. So, so it's yes. just the, to, the degree to which and whether or not it could actually alter the outcomes and unseat people. Here's my theory. And I, and I always say, and people have heard me say this for years, uh, you know, politicians are always concerned about their next gig. 
<laughs> so, but you know, if you look at, if you look at, and I forgive, forgive me because I, I'm not sure that's the case I, for you, Doug. I think that there's there is a distinction called a statesperson, somebody who really is committed to law and country, and somebody who's really there for the power and authority that they get granted by running for office and getting voted in. And uh, you yep. know, it's very important to keep those separate. But when when I have a couple of questions about. You know, my first comment is people don't want to know the truth because if they're currently in office, it may mean that they'll be unseated. And that could be true for a Republican as much as it would a Democrat, because I believe there are Republicans who benefited from some of the corruption, not necessarily knowingly what they did. So the other the other piece is what at what point do we call for an impeachment? I mean, we've talked about it here in Maryland. Um, you know, in your case, is there any conversation to impeach Wolf? Well, I mean, last year there was when with his draconian heavy-handed shutdown orders, picking essential, non-essential, you know, no surgeries, but allowing abortion, um, shutting down schools without any scientific reason to continue to do so, his massive overreach. I mean, it was incredible. His own secretary of health having the policy before Cuomo and before Newsom in California and before Whitmer in Michigan is of taking the sick and putting them back into the long-term health care facilities, which resulted in 16,000 deaths in Pennsylvania. And so there was a group of about 30 Republicans in the House that wanted to move forward with impeachment, but it just sat there. It should have happened last year. It should have happened last September. But for some reason, you know, those in the, in the upper echelons of the General Assembly are very hesitant to be decisive. And, you know, you have to admire the other side, the Democrats, that, you know, at a drop of a hat, they take decisive action. They stick together, unlike us, who just sit around and wring our hands with full of doubt and fear. And so as far as this, there, there is no move right now, it's not a large move. I mean, there are a couple reps in the House that are fantastic that want to do this, but there's no resolve in the House in Pennsylvania to move with impeachment against uh, Governor Wolf, sadly. You know what I think you know, What do we have to fear? L- let him make his case before the people of Pennsylvania. What's the big deal? But there's a lack of courage. Well, I, absolutely. I think we're dealing with that in Maryland as well. And it's ironic. I just want to call a call to, to everybody's attention, the similarities between Wolf, Cuomo, well, you know, Cuomo's on his own island right now, but yeah. Wolf, <laughs> uh, Newsom, Hogan, you know, uh, what is it, Whitmer? I mean, some of these people, you know, and, and, and Hogan calls himself a Republican. It's just not true by the actions that he's taken. It is so uh, uh, the antithesis. But but when we look at swift, decisive leadership, that is something that is so inc- so important. And I, and I just we're coming up at the end of our show and I, I want to give people an opportunity to also know some other things about you. OK, uh, I've got another half an hour and I, I know you're busy, but I think what we should do is plan to have you back. But you know what? You've written books about I wanted to ask you about why you wanted to tell the story about Alvin York, who was the uh the let me just see the World War One hero who received the Medal of Honor and led the, uh, I guess he was in Argonne, the Argonne battle. Can you talk a little bit about that as we close out this show? Because yeah, you you authored several books, and I think people would be interested in reading your work. 
So yeah, three books. Uh, they're all World War One related. And Alvin York's story really bothered me when I was a little kid. The, the movie, you know, came on and uh, on TV, and my dad's like, "Hey, Doug, this is a great movie." And uh, this was like, like in the seventies when I saw it. Came out in the forties, and so I watched the movie, and it really bothered me because you know he, Sergeant York was like the opposite of, of how heroes are portrayed by John Wayne and others. We had a guy that didn't want to be in the army, didn't want to you know fight in war. And very reluctant to do this because of his Christian beliefs. But in the end, when all hope was lost for his unit in the Argonne Forest, France, on 8 October 1918, and uh, they were trapped in the valley, Alvin York with uh, several others, you know, charged against uh, a German position, pick, picked off 19 Germans in a position, fought off a bayonet attack, ended up capturing almost an entire battalion of Germans, 132, and broke the back of the German lines in, in the Argonne Forest, France, which is a very tough obstacle, a thick forest that's never been cut down since Noah's days. And, you know, he goes on to become a great American hero, rightly so, and he makes a difference in his, in his hometown of Hall Mall, Tennessee. And so his story needed to be told because we could see how somebody who grew up with, with a rough life, he, you know, he had trouble after his dad died and, and he kind of, you know, fell in disarray, became an alcoholic, and people called him a good-for-nothing drunk. But uh, in 1915, he ended up accepting the Lord, and his life radically turned around, and he became a man of honor and character. So it should give hope to everybody out there. Well, we all struggle with sins and issues, and we all have baggage and maggots in our past that, in our past that want to consume us. But, you know, with God's help, our, our lives can be turned around and changed, and we can go from somebody who's considered a loser, like York was, to somebody who saved lives and changed the course of history. I believe his action in the Argonne actually shortened the war by breaking the Germans' chance of holding on to the forest the winter of 1918. And so that story needed to be told. Um, additionally, sadly, one of the great flaws in America right now is, is that we're very cynical and sarcastic and, you know, kind of mock our heroes. And so there is even a group of historians in Alvin York's home, home state of Tennessee that were questioning whether what he did was true or not. So the French gave me permission to do a dig in the Argonne. We spent about 100 days out there over several years you know, trying to get to the bottom of it. And uh, we found the artifacts, and it wasn't a place in France where the battle turned for four years. It was just that day and one day that that operation happened in that part of the Argonne. We found the artifacts. We had forensics uh, analysis done on them, and, and guess what? He did it. Okay, well, on that note, first of all, thank you for your service. Thank you for thank this you. amazing conversation. And may God bless your work in Pennsylvania to help save the United States of America. God bless you. It's been an absolute privilege, and we will have you back. Go search out his books, historian and, and great leader, and God bless you. Thank you, Doug.